Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Mick Jagger's in a ball gown or with people in ball gowns at the Palace of Versailles at a state banquet for King Charles and Queen Camilla. Whatever happened to that street fighting man? In fact, is he not Sir Mick Jagger? If you can get your head round that idea. Well, the United Nations organization. You know what? I think it's a complete waste of time. Unless you're in the Republic of the Congo because it gives you the chance to overthrow your tyrant puppet president when he's on that shopping trip to New York, which let's face it, is all that it is for the great majority of world leaders today. And the online safety bill becomes law in Britain. The state regulator, Ofcom, is smacking its lips at the opportunity of protecting us from harmful content. But who will decide what is harmful content? Mind you, that's not much different from what's happening now, where Google, for me, rule my world. Not only have they demonetized he who must not be named, they suppressed my show on Sunday for speaking about him who may not be named. I promise you, this is going to be a bumpy night tonight. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Mind you, Sir Mick was not the most important Brit that little Emperor Macron met today. Sir Keir Starmer, another knight of the realm, was unusually ushered into the Elysee to meet the sitting president. Doesn't happen often that the leader of the so-called opposition in a parliament gets an audience with the president himself. But it soon became clear who had arranged it. Sir Tony Blair, we're infested by these Knights of the realm, knights, I said. And why was Sir Tony Blair brokering a meeting for Sir Keir Starmer with Emperor Macron? That has now become clear also. Starmer was there to tell Macron that if he wins the next general election in Britain, which let's face it, it'd have to be some kind of corporal clot to lose Given the state of the Conservative Party, his main priority will be to draw Britain closer. That's code for associate membership, at least, of the European Union. Because, of course, it's all going so well in the European Union. The beaches at Dover, forget it. Have you seen Lampedusa? Well, the number of arrivals in boats in the last week 
has tripled the population of the island, two-thirds of them being actually Africans who merely landed on Italian territory. Prime Minister Maloney wants out of the pact with China. She's thrown her lot in with the European Union and with the United States of America, but not to the benefit of her constituents or her compatriots. Starmer intends to reverse the decision made by the largest number of British people ever to vote for anything in all of our democratic history. Mind you, that democratic history is drawing to a close. Take a look at our poll that we're running this evening. What rules the West? Google, NATO, or democracy? I'll come on to it in a minute. But on my telegram, only 3% think democracy rules the West. On Twitter, only 8%. On the YouTube community poll, only 5%. And only 2% of those of you watching on the YouTube stream. Nobody much believes in democracy in the West anymore. Well, that's actually not strictly speaking true. Nobody much believes in the people who sit at the top of the so-called democracies in the West. If it's a question of government of the people, for the people, by the people, who would in their right mind turn that down? But when you see what it produces, little soldier Schultz and bonkers Baerbock, little Macron, little Sunak, I'm not sure which of these is the shortest, metaphorically or literally. When you see Joe Biden at the United Nations, like a demented robot that has gone haywire. It, I, I was waiting for his arms to begin to clunk, like his voice clunked. The funniest part of it was when in the middle of a literally indecipherable rant that no one in the auditorium could understand a word of, he said three words suddenly, Clearly. And those three clear words were, let me be clear. And people started to laugh in the auditorium. Let me be clear, said Joe, the robot, when in fact everything he'd said before and after was as clear as a door painted black. The United Nations is a farce. In fact, it was comedic, as I watched this week. The Israeli ambassador picked up a rather tawdry-looking paper placard and started marching down the aisle in protest at the speech being given by the president of Iran. He was then huckled out of the United Nations, the Israeli ambassador, by security guards trying to handcuff him because he would not stop behaving like a hooligan. The fact that 
Well, do you know what was on the little piece of paper he was holding up? It was in support of women in Iran, while the government he represents at the United Nations is murdering women almost on a weekly basis, murdering women journalists, some of them American citizens, shooting teenagers dead in their beds this morning in Janine. He's representing one of the most bloodthirsty, murderous regimes on the earth, and he's disrupting the proceedings of the United Nations in protest at the president of Iran. Now, of course, Zelensky arrived. He has $27 billion more to pick up for a few dollars more. He'll turn up anywhere. But the audience listening to his unhinged speech spoke volumes about the paling, fading support for his regime in the United Nations, in the media, amongst the political class, even amongst the governments of America's vassal states in Europe, in Japan, in Australia, and perhaps most crucially, his fading support within the armed forces of Ukraine, who increasingly have had enough, enough of this poison dwarf and his larcenous government, looting one in every three dollars that arrives, selling military equipment destined for the front on the dark web and to any armed robber, any criminal gang, any terrorist outfit that will purchase them. If you want a measure of how people are falling out of love with the former porn actor Zelensky, you could look at the audience three quarters empty when he addressed the United Nations, or you could look on the front page of the New York Times on the day he arrived in New York. No coincidence there. A special New York Times investigation has shown that the murderous missile attack on a marketplace in Donetsk, which killed 15 people and maimed 17 more, when Blinken was in Kiev, which was denounced by Blinken and Zelensky and echoed, parroted throughout the Western mainstream media, turned out not to have been a Russian missile at all. It was not Russia that murdered these people in the marketplace. It was Zelensky himself either through incompetence, that's possible, or any deliberate provocation in the presence of Blinken, all these people's blood was spilt. Fair play to the New York Times 
and great timing. They revealed the entire miserable canard on the front page of the Times on the day that Zelensky arrived in New York. For me, the United Nations is a pale shadow of what it once was and what it was supposed to be. When I was young, everybody in the world knew the name of the Secretary General of the United Nations. He was never off the TV, never out of the newspapers, always shuttling here and there, trying to bring peace where there was conflict, trying to broker deals and agreements to keep a lid on the simmering tensions of the Cold War world. Who knows who's the Secretary General of the United Nations now? Do you know? Can you pronounce his name? Have you heard about his fear of flying? Well, he must have a fear of flying because he never leaves New York. He doesn't intervene in any conflict anywhere in the world. The Pope does more for peace than the Secretary General of the United Nations. Now let me move on to a very important matter that I need to get off my chest. YouTube is owned by Google. Google was elected by nobody and even prior to the passage of the online safety bill in the UK, to which I shall turn in a minute, Google acted as the number one sensor of information in the world today. There is nobody that they will not censor. Elected presidents, they'll censor. King's councils giving evidence to parliamentary inquiries on the, the disease ailment that must not speak its name for fear of suppression by Google. This very day, a king's council giving evidence in parliament has been censored by Google. Who gave them the authority to do this? Nobody. They are too powerful for their own good and certainly for the good of society as a whole. We have been mugs allowing these people, Zuckerberg too, to accrue all this power to interfere in our democracy. You want democracy, but you want a mogul somewhere a billionaire, in the case of Google, a trillionaire, trillionaire, to decide what information you can access and what information will be denied to you, even if it's in a parliamentary inquiry and spoken by a king's council. How did we allow, why did we allow these people to accrue such overweening, overbearing, and unbearable power. Well, we went quietly into that good night. We were so excited about the existence of social media. 
it did not occur to us that the more we used it, the more money the trillionaire earned and the more power he had at any time to turn off the tap, to deny platforms to people, to demonetize people only on accusations, not even charges, never mind convictions, although there's some odd people there with multiple convictions that are still monetized and have still got platforms on Google, on YouTube. By the end of this talk, maybe it's already happened. I may no longer even be speaking to you on YouTube. Such is the power that these people have accrued. And it is profoundly unhealthy to our democracy that a tiny handful of people, the 10 richest people in the world, almost all of whom are in this internet business in one way or another, own more wealth than 40% of the entire population of the world, as President Lula told the United Nations today, just before he felt too tired to meet with President Zelensky and had to go home, had a cough, was fatigued. These 10 individuals, who own all this media power are the real rulers of the public space. How did we allow this? And how can we circumvent it? For circumvent it, we must. If he who cannot be named for fear of Google immediately suppressing this broadcast as they did on Sunday can be demonetized on these simple accusations, of someone, then how much longer are the rest of us for this public square? After all, anybody at all can be accused of anything at all. No evidence needs to be produced. No trial needs to be held. No judge, no court, no jury. Google and their friends are the judge, jury, and executioner until today when the British Parliament passed with flying colors the online safety bill. Now, of course, the bill is wrapped up in, in pretty paper. It's going to crack down on, on exploitation of children, on on extreme pornography, on all the ugliness that is to be found if you look for it on the internet. But that's not their real reason. That's not the reason why Ofcom are literally licking their lips. I saw the video of the woman in charge. She couldn't have been more pleased if she'd won the Euro millions on the lottery. Because now, she can decide that what I am saying to you now about her is harmful to you and therefore must be taken down, must be 
censored. Who will guard the guards? The age-old question. Who will decide what is harmful? Well, in my country of Scotland, that's already decided. Police Scotland has set up a special unit. Imagine. Get your house burgled, forget it. Here's a crime number, claim off the insurance. Your car stolen, ditto. Your face slashed in the street. You'll be lucky if you've any blood left before the police arrive. But they've got a special unit just been set up to police the hate crimes bill starting in November, just a few weeks from now. And you know what their two priorities are? To crack down on the misgendering of people and on the people who try to stop biological males going into female toilets. Well, I've got news for you, Mr. Yousaf and Mr. Police Scotland. I will not be calling Junior Sergeant 4th Class Sarah Cirillo the erstwhile spokeswoman man, it, them, they, of the Ukrainian regime. I will not be calling her a woman. I will be, in terms of your law, misgendering her. That guy with the big swinging dick in the women's prison at Conton Vale, raping prisoners and staff, I will not be calling a woman. And there are four females in my household. And if I see any man dressed as a woman lumbering into the ladies' lavatory, when they're inside, I'll be stopping him, her, it, they, them, all right. I'll stop them with extreme prejudice. They'll have to climb over me to get into that lady's toilet when my family are there. I told you it was going to be a bumpy night. You better fasten your seatbelt. This is the mother of all talk shows. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The best broadcast I have seen in years, maybe ever, was the interview of Colonel Douglas McGregor with Tucker Carlson. It was literally a master class. It was a tour of the battlefield, not just the actual battlefield in the Ukraine, but the political, military, strategic battlefield on which we are all engaged, possibly for the final battle, possibly for the battle that ends war and ends all of us on this planet forever. Now, of course, we introduced Colonel Douglas McGregor to you several times on the mother of all talk shows before he got his big break with Tucker Carlson. But he hasn't forgotten us. He's agreed to come back and talk to us on the mother of all talk shows this evening. And I'm very glad to say he joins me now. Uh, Colonel McGregor uh, was the big time. Uh, you've been in the big time uh, for a long time, in the Pentagon, in the White House, in your military career, on the mother of all talk shows. But there you are now in the stratosphere with Tucker. But it didn't overawe you. You took the program by the scruff of the neck, and Carlson was spellbound by your grasp of detail. Tell us on a human level, uh, first of all, how has that been for you, being such a star on a Carlson show? Well, George, uh, I usually think of myself as a star when I'm with you. So I guess in that sense, it wasn't anything new. <laughs> Very kind. Now, before we go to the battleground, Colonel, uh, let's talk about the battleground if you like, at the UN and in the US Congress. Zelensky was as popular as a pork chop at a Muslim wedding uh, with a lot of the delegates in the United Nations this week. And it turns out there's not enough votes in the Congress to give him the money he's really there to collect. He's losing on the political battlefield, isn't he? Yeah, I think uh, James Brown said it best, the thrill is gone. And uh, our friend uh, Zelensky is uh, very definitely in the loser's corner. Nobody wants to state it publicly, but everybody knows, tragically, Ukraine has, has lost hundreds of thousands of men, I would argue pointlessly, in a war for all the wrong reasons. The Russians are sitting comfortably behind their defenses, and everyone is wondering when the Russians will attack and finish this war. But I think from the very beginning, Putin never had any intention of conquering Western Ukraine and moving into Eastern Europe, contrary to what the propagandists in your country and mine have said. There's no payoff. Uh, territorial imperialism is a loser. He simply wants this war to end. He wants to liberate the Russians living in Eastern Ukraine from the oppressive rule of Mr. Zelensky and his friends, and he would like to get back to normalcy. He wants to get back to doing business. 
And I think the Europeans need to wake up as soon as possible because the sooner they wake up, the more improvement they will see in their lives. But they've got a long way to go with the governments ruling them. And unfortunately, we're ruled by people not very different from the ones you're discussing in, in Great Britain right now. They also need to go. We need normality. We need to get away from all of this artificial nonsense. We need to get away from what Roger Scruton used to call the nonsense machine. You've got a nonsense machine in London and apparently also in Edinburgh, sadly. Uh, we have a nonsense machine in Washington. It all needs to stop because all of this is about money, unfortunately, in the United States. And lots of people are getting rich in Washington, D.C., while the Ukrainian people are being killed and their nation is being destroyed. Well, I didn't intend to be speaking to you about this, but I did see that you had weighed in uh, in one of your uh, one of your political initiatives that you're welcome to brief us on uh, on this nonsense uh, machine. I've seen a lot, Colonel, as a man of my age and more than fifty years in politics. I ought to have seen a lot, but I have never seen a conquering of the public space, the institutions, the commanding heights of the society. Uh, as quickly and as comprehensively as I have seen over this nonsense machine, the, the transmania, the gender-bending, uh, all-consuming triumph uh, of uh, people that we were all uh, absolutely content to see an end to discrimination against, all happy to see. Uh, a dampening of bigotry towards, but we are now in a situation, Colonel, you may not be in your country, but I am in mine, that it is a crime for which I can be sent to prison if I do not call a man a woman because that man has decreed himself to be a woman. It is a crime that could put you behind bars. How did we get there? Well, it looks like the people that dominate our financial system and control the money uh, are the same people who currently dominate the government, who are shaping society, who are controlling academia. They've effectively taken over the airwaves. And so they can make something that's utterly ridiculous, like this war in Ukraine, and portray it as though it's some victory for them and for their their uh, ruling class, when in fact we know the Ukrainians have been slaughtered in this war. We've set them up for failure. We tried to build an army on the fly. We sent them into action, promising them virtually everything and anything. And they've reached the point now where they have nothing left to fight with. And so now we're handing them cruise missiles, and they're going to hurl those pointlessly at targets in Russia or wherever they can reach. It's not going to change anything, but it could ultimately induce the Russians to finally say, let's attack and end this thing once and for all. Russian commanders are telling President Putin they want to drive their tanks right into Kiev and destroy this regime once and for all, which they now view, and I think they're right, as a danger not only to them, but a danger to the people living in Ukraine and living in Europe. These people are dangerous. They represent everything that you're talking about. They have a spokesperson who is a man dressed as a woman, 
Whether or not this person has been through some sort of transgender surgery, I have no idea. But this thing spouts utter nonsense and is held up as an example by Zelensky in the West as something we all ought to worship. This has got to stop. This doesn't make any sense. It's the nonsense machine in charge. Uh, we've turned the world upside down. I, I don't have any easy answers other than to say we've got to resist. I know my ancestors resisted a hell of a lot in Scotland over many centuries. And I suppose that's why I'm sitting where I am in the United States now, because they finally decided to give up and leave. But I hope that the people in Great Britain will resist and stand up and essentially talk about the nonsense and stop it because we've got to. We've been lied to about everything. We're being lied to about gender and biology and genetics, uh, lied about what's right, what's wrong. And we don't need PhDs, and we don't need to spend time in seminaries to figure out what's right, what's wrong, and what's real. Indeed, let's uh, move to another part of the battlefield. The ground seems to be shifting uh, in the Congress uh, over the latest of what have been a series of voracious financial demands by Zelensky. I read just before coming on air that, uh, that uh, Biden will not have enough votes to get another huge payment, a huge payout. Is that how you see it? There are 37 million people inside the United States living below the poverty line. There are 11 million children, American children, who go to bed hungry every night. Now, what's wrong with this picture? We want to send billions and hundreds of billions to Ukraine to fight a war that makes no sense against a people that are not the enemy of the American people, or for that matter, in my judgment, Europe. We should be interested in peace, not shipping hundreds of billions of dollars overseas. People in the country are beginning to say, wait a minute. 37 million Americans live in poverty. 11 million children are going to bed hungry every night. This is outrageous nonsense. It needs to stop. That's what's happening. And is that putting pressure on the Republican uh, leadership in the House, uh, which has been uh, bipartisan on foreign policy issues, at least, uh, with the Democrats in lockstep? Are they beginning to move now? Well, I think we still have what we call the uniparty. That is, uh, the Republicans and Democrats are all interested in the same thing. They want to line their pockets with as much cash as possible and go home as multimillionaires. You know, this is not the way this government was originally designed. We didn't build this government with that in mind, but that's what's happened for the last 30, 40 years. All sorts of people have showed up in Washington who are only modestly wealthy, if, if we can use that word at all. But they all ended up retiring after five or six terms in office with millions of dollars. This, is a, this has become an industry, a self-licking ice cream cone, if you, if you want. And we're doing the same thing with defense right now. I mean, we, we had the chief financial officer of Lockheed Martin, one of the top five defense firms, speak publicly and talk about the wonderful prospects for profits in the future. He said, we've got $10 billion more orders on the way now, thanks to Ukraine. And after we've gotten these $10 billion for the, for the missiles we're shipping to Ukraine, we're going to get $10 billion more to replace all the missiles we just sent. Now, most of, this, most of this cash just sort of 
circulates in Washington. It goes from Congress to the Department of Defense, from the Department of Defense to its constituents and its donors. The donors turn around and enrich the people on the Hill. They refill their election campaign funds or re-election campaign funds. This, this is a giant money laundering scheme. It's not doing anything for the people of Ukraine. It's not doing anything for the people here in the United States. I mean, we've got 28 million, an estimated 28 million people living in the United States who are illegally here. And most of them, I would say over 90% of them, enjoy free health care at the expense of American taxpayers. At the same time, we've got 27 million Americans who have no health insurance. What is wrong with this picture? This is ridiculous. We are, we are impoverishing ourselves and enriching a small elite, but that elite is owned by the people you're talking about, by the ruling class that controls finance. That's why we financialized our economy. We don't build anything anymore. We're not producing steel and other components. We are financialized. Everything's about transaction fees, George. It's the same thing in London. You saw the you saw the financial crisis in, in September that removed uh, your previous prime minister and brought in Sunak. Has anything really changed since that financial crisis? And, and that was essentially saved by the... Uh, Bank of England, that they promised to buy up some number of gilts. Well, we've got the same problem here in the United States. Rising interest rates, you know, the bond yields are going up, but the prices for bonds are going down, and fewer and fewer people overseas want to buy our bonds. You know, how long will it be before the banks in the United States and in Great Britain figure out that they're holding on to tremendous numbers of liabilities, not assets? They bought all these gilts and bonds when the interest rates were at zero or one or less than 2%. Now what are they worth with the interest rates rising rapidly to five? And there's no evidence that these interest rates can be contained. They're going to continue to go up. We're, we're headed for a serious crisis. And I think the people in charge are making serious mistakes because they're still focused on themselves not on the country and the people that live in our countries. In this tinderbox, which you so, so eloquently describe, what would be the impact of a successful effort to keep uh, Donald Trump out of the next presidential race, either by, by lawfare, uh, by even the possibility of imprisonment, uh, by some other means, including the possibility of extreme prejudice, which you can never uh, rule out in the United States. Uh, what would be the impact uh, on the tinderbox? Will that to happen, do you think? You know, we can only speculate. We can't know with absolute certainty. But remember that the majority of Americans that voted for Donald Trump are frankly people that obey the law. They're not the people that you saw destroy 2.1 billion dollars worth of property in the United States in 2020. The average Trump voter is a, is a law-abiding citizen. So I I don't expect some outburst of violence. But you know there's something else happening that you may not be aware of but there is a candidate Robert F Kennedy Jr 
and he is very similar to Trump in many of his views. Not They're not exactly the same by any means, but I would describe both of them as legitimate, valid candidates for two distinct parties, except that the two parties don't like them, don't want them. You know, Robert F. Kennedy isn't sure that he has a real shot in the primaries to get the nomination because he's afraid it's going to be rigged against him. And he's brought this up. Someone just tried to kill him the other day, and he's being denied Secret Service protection. We all know that President Trump has been at risk for a long time. I, I don't really know. I think what we're looking at, though, in the future, sometime over the next six to 12 months, is the perfect storm. On the one side, the financial system is going to go into crisis. I don't see how we escape it. On the other side, we have the political dispute with this uniparty, with people that we can't seem to control, people that are completely unresponsive to the to the population and its needs. If you ask the average American, what do you think about Ukraine? He's probably going to ask you, where is it? The next American you ask about Ukraine, he says, well, I don't think we should go to war over this place. I mean, there's there's no... There's no support for a war against Russia 7,000 or 8,000 miles from the United States. There's no support for a war with China over some island off the coast called Taiwan. Americans, and I, I don't know what it's like in Britain, but I can tell you Americans are very worried about putting bread on the table. You talked about the immense wealth concentrated in the hands of the few. We've got a lot of people in the United States living now paycheck to paycheck. The average American has perhaps four, five thousand dollars in savings. How long is that going to last? Particularly given the the financialization of our economy, the rising interest rates. How does the average American get credit? Credit is tightening. That's no accident as the interest rates go up. So I think we're headed into some sort of perfect storm. So to sit here and predict how people will react, it's hard to tell. But if they can't eat, if they can't put food on the table, if they can't get to work because they can't afford to put gas in their automobiles, if they can't afford to stay in the homes that they own, I think you're headed for a lot of trouble. Colonel Douglas McGregor, it's always absolutely fascinating talking to you. I'm proud you're a compatriot of mine, albeit separated by an ocean. Thank you for joining me on the mother of all talk shows. What an interview. If you want to comment on it, uh, you can do so uh, entirely free of charge. I'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. The man who's number one for me is Nico House, whose commentary, whose analysis is sharp and biting and funny and colorful 
in every way. Here he is, Nico House, back on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, I want to throw you a, a curveball, uh, Nico, because um, I, I didn't have time to tell you I wanted to ask you about this. But I do, uh, because I'm much occupied by uh, the, con the consequences of uh, he who should not, cannot be named, and what's happening to him at the moment. I wanted to ask if you knew what was happening in the investigation of uh, Jeffrey Epstein's client list. And, and Ghislaine Maxwell is in jail forever for trafficking kids. To whom? To whom was she trafficking them? And why isn't anyone apparently investigating that? Yeah, no one's investigating it. Um, and like I said about the situation with who he who shall not be named, I just found it extremely bizarre that this major media conglomerate would invest a years, oh, more than a years actually, worth of resources into, a, into investigating a man over sexual assault or, or sexual misconduct allegations as if it's supposed to help the public in any way. If it is true, then may they get justice. If not, then may justice be served to Russ. But when it comes to this client list with Epstein that we know, we know Epstein was guilty. We obviously know Glenn Maxwell was guilty. But at this juncture, we actually might have to make a phone call to the Ghostbusters to find out who they were trafficking those kids to. Because as far as we can see at this point, they're, they're all disappeared. They're, they, they must have been ghosts. Because according to the media, according to the Justice Department, uh, both here and the justice system over in Europe, they don't exist. And that shows duplicity within our justice system. And it really reveals that this situation, although they may or may not get justice, was really never about justice or genuine accountability. It was merely about demonizing someone who is speaking out against the system. And that is, once again, uh, um, regardless of whether or not the allegations do turn out to be true. Well, of course, that's exactly what they're doing with, uh, with RFK Jr. Uh, they are uh, sidelining him, slandering him, censoring him. And now we've got guys pretending to be U.S. Marshals with a gun under every uh, shoulder and lots of spare ammunition turning up at his rally in California uh, just a few days ago. And Joe Biden will still not provide state security for a guy called Kennedy, whose father was murdered in California. And he's got a statue of the original RFK sitting behind him in the White House. What's that all about? Uh, it's bizarre, but I will say, if I was RFK Jr., I really wouldn't rely too much on Secret Service because, well, we've already seen how that has gone with Kennedy, members of the Kennedy mem uh, family in the past. So his private security, not the police force, like the local police force, not the FBI, his private security caught the imposter and took care of it. Uh, but I will say that it speaks volumes to the fact that Joe Biden is at best unconcerned with the safety of a man who was running for president, who was part of a family that unfortunately has a history of being assassinated, specifically when they're challenging the system or the status quo. 
at, at, so if God forbid something happens to the man, but like this is a reality that we have to deal in because we understand the times that we are in and we understand history. If something happens to the man, then Joe Biden is complicit in that. And he is it's viewed even worse to me because not only is he complicit, but he directly benefits from it. So it's extremely problematic. Yeah, uh, what's even more extraordinary is it doesn't even seem to be a big story anywhere. It's a story that seems to me ought to be being reported, not just everywhere in the United States, but actually it's a global story. It's got everything. Jack Kennedy gunned down, Bobby Kennedy gunned down, Bobby's son's running for president, and the U.S. will not protect him. I mean, why is that not a big story, Nico? Uh, There's also another aspect of the story that should probably also make it a bigger story, which is that this actually violates uh, primary orthodoxy. So Kamala got uh, Secret Service very early on in the primary, and people forget about that. Barack Obama was not leading the primary, nor was he holding a federally elected office when he was running against Hillary Clinton in the primary. And he got Secret Service protection because of all the death threats that he had received. Now, once again, RFK has received those same threats. He literally had someone make an attempt on his life. Thank God it was unsuccessful, but it it happened. And once again, and it can't be stated enough, he's a Kennedy for challenging the system. He is a target. And the fact that this story isn't bigger, the fact that the mainstream media isn't challenging Joe Biden on this, once again, it, 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 it's not only just revealing to, to how much they could care less if something was to happen to, to, to Kennedy, but it shows how complicit they are. Almost as if, whoop, if it happens, it happens. They, like, and, and given the rules changes from the DNC and every way that they've uh, for uh, 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 foundationally changed their their primary process in order to directly hurt Kennedy and help Joe Biden, it rolls right in line with the narrative, which is what makes it a bigger problem. Mind you, the security cameras in that darkened theater were sharp, weren't they? I mean, I could tell you, I won't for reasons of propriety, what a bra size Lauren Boebert has, uh, because the camera in the dark Uh, was able to bring us in glorious (laughs) clarity uh, her her décolletage uh, on a date with her her boyfriend. And this is now everywhere in the United States Mm -hmm. and around the world. Some things are important, some things are not, Nico. Yeah, that's exactly the way it's being treated. Um, Democracy is being trampled upon right now. Uh, In the case of RFK Jr., once again... People don't know because it's not being discussed because the Democrats are claiming that there's not really a primary that's going on, while simultaneously telling New Hampshire Democrats that they must violate their constitution and allow South Carolina to be the first state in the Democratic primary, which is not allowable. They actually have to go through Republicans to approve of that process. And so it's not going to happen. And they're going to punish New Hampshire for holding their primary on time. Their Iowa is no longer, the Iowa caucuses, the first caucus in the nation, is pretty important. They're not allowed, they're not caucusing. They're doing 100% mail-in ballots. Yeah, like what could go wrong with 100% mail-in ballots <laughs> in the Iowa caucus? In these two states, by the way, both of those states, Joe Biden lost. 
Yes, of course. And they want South Carolina because, uh, because if you ain't black, uh, if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you ain't black. That's why they want exactly. South Carolina to be the first, isn't it? Exactly. You know that it, it will, for me, it was such a wake up call to watch uh, Jim Clyburn reach into his closet and blow off the dust off his best tap, tap dancing shoes and literally endorses segregationists and ha ahead of one of the most important elections of all time. Uh, but that's what they're counting on, is that he can save himself the embarrassment because he didn't just get beat by Bernie in New Hampshire and Iowa. He got beat by Bernie, Buttigieg, Klobuchar in New Hampshire, and Warren. So they're trying to save themselves the embarrassment, but yet they keep saying they don't feel threatened by RFK Jr. So, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Which one is it? Either you're threatened or you're not. But in, in my opinion, they clearly are threatened, and not just by RFK Jr., obviously by Cornell West and Ways as well. So we'll see how it plays out going forward. But um, people need to know about how the Democrats are still rigging this process because it is our democracy um, that's being trampled upon. And what about Trump? Is he going to make it to the starting gate? Or are they going to successfully hobble him? I think he'll make it. I think he'll, I mean, people forget that in America, <laughs> land of the free, home of the brave, you can be a felon and be the president of the United States of America. People forget about that. You could be in jail. You know, you can make some adjustments. So bring in some blue carpet, set up some secret service. I mean, some of these rappers who go to jail probably have better security than the president of the United States and better. And more luxury as well in their jail cells. So they can do whatever they want to to Trump at this point. It seems like the reality is every time they try to pin something on him, he becomes more popular. Like it is like a direct correlation. And every time something comes out with, about Hunter Biden, they try to pin something on Trump. Joe Biden's numbers fall and Trump's numbers rise. So at this point, they're just poking, a, I would say a sleeping bear, but Trump is definitely not sleeping. But they are poking the bear. And they're really, in, in my opinion, the Democrats are in a very impossible situation. Because if RFK runs, this might be the one time, because he said that he might run his third party. He said he would seek alternatives if the Democrats keep uh, engaging in these shenanigans. So this might be the one time where they are correct. He will be a spoiler. He will take 10 or 15% of your votes, and the rest will vote for Trump. And it will be very hard for you to finagle your way around these voting machines like we know the Democrats like to do in order to get Joe Biden back in the White House. I think if Kennedy runs as a third-party candidate, Biden loses. Uh, Harris loses even more heavily if she's the candidate. Uh, because I don't see any way in which Bobby Kennedy doesn't get 10% of the vote. And if you take 10% uh, of uh, that great vote that Joe Biden got last time, 81 million people apparently voted for Joe Biden last time. If you take uh, 7 million of those off, he loses. And more importantly, even before we even get to the election, by name recognition alone, he has a high probability to make the debate stage by the requirements that have been uh, previously instituted. So he can not only win just in a straight up election, but he could directly challenge both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. In a, in a way that the entire world would see. And I hope that that comes into fruition. I, I mean, I people should know Me by too. now, I don't believe that America has a democracy. So, you know, it is what it is, but the conversation is important because conversations bring change. Absolutely. Nico House, as always, brilliant to talk to you. 
Thanks for joining us. You have to remember back in 2002, 2003, there was a wish by George Bush for regime change. That's what was driving him. Nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction, which of course didn't exist in Iraq. So they had to construct some sort of formula, some sort of cover story, in order to persuade the British public that intervention in Iraq was right. Now, David Kelly, uh, as an expert in weapons of mass destruction, knew that uh, this was untrue. He knew that there were probably no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That was a guy that could have brought down, that was a guy that could have brought down the whole system. I reckon you're chess. You've been thrown up to divert uh, our probing. The Foreign Affairs Select Committee, that um, parliamentarian briefing, I think that was an indignity to him. We saw it on the news, and my very first thought was shock. Um, oh, my God, you know, this man is in the eye of the media hurricane. Uh, he should be protected by that, at least. You've got on your hands, Prime Minister. Are you going to resign over this? I don't know the details of how Lord Hutton happened to be selected, but what was certainly the case is that he was the right kind of judge to use from the point of view of Dining Street and the intelligence services as well. Of the 21 days of hearing, only one half of one day was spent on discussing the forensic aspects. That is disgusting. We were given the Hutton report the day before it was published, but actually what happened was he went too far. The events of 2003 were disgraceful ones in this country's history, and it's unfinished business. Those responsible for an illegal war, those responsible for the death of David Kelly, have not been brought to justice. There's been no inquest into David Kelly's death. There needs to be one. We need to make sure that those who behaved in a reprehensible way in 2003 are finally brought to book. You can see that film for free uh, on my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Please, please support me on Patreon. I really do depend on it. I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but I need your support on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. I've got great friends on there who are keeping me going uh, with this show, like James Butler, who says... Google is used to manipulate the UN, the WEF, amongst others. Tell us we are guilty of helping to kill the planet, yet the American corporate tool that is NATO is busy starting and funding war after war, and yet not a word. And Hill, H-I-L, H-I-L, says it's in the power of ordinary people to self-determine our future, but Western NATO governments are determined to keep their imperialist project alive. And John H. says clearly the answer is NATO, but behind NATO looms the United States. And in saying the United States, I mean a small cabal of individuals who somehow have gained control of America. And Shlomo Orr says it's the military-industrial security complex which controls NATO. And Monica Rangne says, definitely not democracy. Well, Monica, that much is clear from the results of the poll. It was a hard choice for me, she says, between Google, which is pretty much worldwide and controls so much info, and NATO, which is trying to spread control. Oh, 
over the world. Thanks to you for those comments and for your ongoing support. You can support me on Patreon for less than the price of a cup of tea per week. I'm talking about tea in an insalubrious cafe, not in Claridge's or the Ritz. It's very, very small money. But if a lot of people do it, you'll really strengthen this operation. Please do it if you possibly can. Now, there's a legend on the line. It's Simon, our professor in Florida on the United Nations Security Council. Go ahead, Professor Simon. Good evening, Mr. Galloway. Greetings to you and to your worldwide audience. Um, if I may, I'm going to gently disagree with you um, and recount mm -hmm. what happened in the United Nations General Assembly Hall after President Biden finished his speech. And um, I don't know exactly where you saw your version, but possibly it was on the mainstream media and not on the raw feed on the United Nations webcams. But I'll explain, if I may, very quickly what happened immediately afterwards, why that response occurred, and what the Chinese said um, a few hours later, just two sentences of their response, because it's very, very dramatic. Now, when President Biden started speaking, most of the diplomats in the assembly hall jumped from their seats and literally ran around talking to each other for many minutes. And the president of the assembly was not able to regain control. He had summoned the next speaker, who was the president of Ecuador, who stood patiently and then impatiently at the rostrum awaiting his turn. It took seven or eight minutes to get most of the delegates back into their seats during which time, while shouting for order, the new General Assembly president was slamming his gavel up upon um, his stand behind the speaker's area so hard and so repetitively that he snapped the head of his gavel, which was a gift from Iceland, into two. And he then turned to the secretary general and said, I don't know what to do. They're not listening. I've never seen anything like this. Okay? Now, so that and what was, was the reason? What was the reason, now, Simon? So I'll, I'll tell you the reason. And frankly, this is scary for the whole world. So President Biden, despite your correct description of his generally being a bumbling buffoon, one needs to remember that he was trying to read out a speech that no doubt somebody else or some other collective or cabal had um, written for him. Now, twice, not once, but twice, he said that the United, this is a direct quote, the United States was going to bend the arc of history. And I suspect many in the audience there interpreted that to say, you will bend to the will of the United States. So that got quite a response. He once again reiterated his phrase about us being at an inflection point. And he was very clear that the United States was asserting leadership over the world. 
And indeed, though this may have been a mistake where he meant to say the United Nations, but he in fact said the U.S., he said America is abiding by the principle of the U.S. in terms of its leadership of the world. So he didn't say we're abiding by the charter or the principles of the U.N. He said we're abiding by the principles of the U.S. And there are several other incidences in his speech of that magnitude, which I appreciate we don't have time to go through the whole 15 minutes. But it was very, very threatening. And that was why there was such an extreme response from all of the delegates there. Um, you know, he, he attacked Russia, as may have been expected. He attacked North Korea. He attacked Tehran. He was started off being conciliatory to China and then said that um, you, America had to push back against them in the seas and in the skies in order to maintain freedom of navigation. So I think if one were to go back and despite the laughable character, actually listen to what had been typed up for him by unknown hands and then think that all the other delegations doubtless received the written version or a transcript later. This is why the Chinese reacted in the way they did. And I'll just read two sentences. They said, quote, U.S. President Biden has again turned the United Nations General Assembly into a runway for touting U.S. leadership. He made the Ukraine crisis the spotlight of the gathering to shore up the alliance of U.S.-centered small cliques and use the crisis as a weapon to attack other countries. So that is what happened. Well, uh, you watched all of that so that I don't have to. Uh, and you have uh, succinctly in Precy uh, told us of the significance and importance uh, of the event. Just one other question, Simon, uh, uh, if I may. Uh, how was Zelensky received by the different delegations? If you well, know, please tell us. There's a huge split there. So um, it was revealed that all of the European delegates had a sole goal, which was to um, promote Zelensky and his 10-point peace plan. So the entire UN has basically split 50 against 140. But as has been described by both the Chinese and by Secretary Blinken, Biden's using the term inflection point. The Chinese are using the point of a, a crossroads in the history of humanity, at which point countries now need to make a choice. Where We really are at a, a hard decision point, what in military parlance would be called the decision point of battle, where you're forced to make a decision and what you decide is going to determine the outcome. And that's exactly what Secretary Blinken said when he said how countries decide now is going to determine the outcome of world history for the next few decades. I know I repeat this point every week, but these are truly incredible times that we're going through. So in terms of your question as to how he was responded, 50 people were basically told clap when he gets on the stage 
and the other 40, 140 people were sitting there going, oh, God, this guy in a, in a green uniform again. But don't forget that he had a double act. He was there on the st big stage in the big hall yesterday, and then he was in the small hall at the United Nations Security Council today, and that was an enormously drawn-out performance where the Russians had been somewhat tucked up and they were rather outgamed by the Albanian rotating president of the Security Council, such that he had invited or allowed something like an additional 50 countries to address the Security Council, all supporting Ukraine, handed the Russians that list at short notice, and they hadn't got all of their allies along at the meeting. So they were literally outnumbered about 60 to 1. Um, you know, big speech from Mr. Blinken again, an enormous, literally like reading out a book speech from Secretary Lavrov, and then Mr. Zelensky um, reiterating his 10-point peace plan and asking not for one global summit to discuss it, but for 11 global summits, a summit for each of the 10 points, and then a president and prime minister summit to draw a conclusion and then enforce it upon Russia. So there have been incredible developments. It would be disrespectful to your other callers to try and encompass all of the Security Council meeting. But I would please, if I may, just make the one point to you and your audience that the most amazing speech so far was in fact the speech that came after President Biden by the president of Colombia. And the scope of his speech that was dedicated to his wife, his daughter, and his grandchildren was from the cocoa fields in the forest of Colombia, extending in scope to the stars of the universe. It was absolutely amazing, but has been overshadowed by the preceding speech from President Biden. Well, I'll definitely look that up. Uh, finally, uh, and briefly, Simon, because we're at the hour almost, uh, don't we really have two United Nations? Uh, wouldn't it make more sense uh, for this organization to split and let the tiny number of uh, North American uh, vassal states and, and, and prison states uh, like Albania, uh, it's amusing to me that they should be the president of the Security Council, I must say, uh, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't we leave them to it and, and set up uh, a proper United Nations on a democratic basis somewhere else? Very quickly, Mr. Galloway, there is a specific factual answer to that. We're in the process now where they're supposed to be negotiating what is called the Pact of the Future, that is designed to be agreed by consensus at the um, summit of the future of the world next year. And that was one of the extreme statements that President Biden made. He suggested that even though that booklet is literally five chapter headings, there's no words under the chapter headings at the moment, it's to be negotiated over the next year. He said that 
America felt there was already a common vision for the future, basically implying that you're going all to do what America tells you, so we don't even need to negotiate the content of the agreement that's supposed to only be finalized in 12 months' time. So people are trying to hold the UN together, but America is very, very um, strong in exercising its hegemonic power to the dissatisfaction of at least half of the United Nations. Thank you, Simon, in Florida, as always, uh, for that uh, briefing. Claude in North Dakota is on the line, and he's the last caller of the evening. Claude, most welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Galloway. I, I truly appreciate uh, all that you do and, and uh, listen to you every chance I get. Um, I've, uh, as a consequence of listening to your program and others, I, I spent uh, uh, 12 years in a government school and hated every day of it but one, and that was when my dad took me duck hunting. I'm 75 years old, and now I'm in your university. And so I'm, I'm learning, and I'm very thankful for it. I'm at the moment. I, the last half hour, I'm trying to um, give you a few dollars on Patreon, and I'm not having a very good uh, time of it. But I'll keep trying. I'll get her done. So, I, but I, I can't. I, God bless you, Mister. I can't tell you enough. God bless you. So, you um, watch wow. yourself and. Uh, I'll be praying for you, sir. Sure. sure. Thanks, uh, thanks, Claude. The power of prayer is something I believe in. Uh, but as I've said many times here, I have no fear of anything or anyone other than God. Uh, I have tried, at least over uh, many decades, uh, to uh, live a good life, uh, to uh, live a life. Uh, that might help me get past the pearly gates and admission to a better life in the other place. But uh, either way, uh, I will not back down. Anyone who knows me knows since I was a child, since I was a child, a fellow called Brian Parks was the first to learn I don't back down. He was a bully who spat on me as he ran past me in the street foolishly for him when I was walking a young girl called Linda that I loved I was about 10 years old and without going into the grisly details he didn't have many teeth uh, by the end of the tussle I don't back down and whether I lose or whether I die confronting the uh, forces that control for their advantage and to the misery of the mass of humanity, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to meet my maker uh, at any time. And I live each day uh, with that in mind partly because of the stance that I take and the risks that I take, but also uh, partly because of my age. You're older than me, but not by that much. I hope to live a longer life for lots of reasons. 
Uh, but if I do or if I don't, the work I'm doing now will live on. And the people I have influenced, even just tonight, that influence will live on. As a much greater man than me, Comandante Che Guevara said, what matters is not that I die, but how many people run to pick up my rifle. I have no rifle, at least not one I'm going to tell you about. Uh, but my words are my bullets. And I hope, and I'm touched, as you can probably tell, Claude, that someone in North Dakota was so influenced that they wanted to make that beautiful call as the last call this evening on the mother of all talk shows. Thank you for it. Uh, so the poll results are overwhelming. NATO is the largest villain of the peace, with a third of the voters thinking Google rules the West. A tiny, tiny handful believing that we're ruled by democracy. I've no time left. Indeed, I've overshot my time limit. Please forgive me. I'm going now to watch my team, Manchester United. I have no idea of the score in the Champions League of Bayern Munich. It finished an hour or so ago, but I don't know the score, so don't tell me. I'll be back, though, God willing, on Sunday at 7 p.m. UK time with the mothership, the mother of all talk shows. Please be there and please bring somebody else with you. It's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. I wish you all a good night. <laughs>